You're listening to Band Geek with Richie Castellano on the Riotcast Network. Welcome to Band Geek. I'm Richie Castellano. We have a very cool episode today. Uh, I'm going to be a solo act today. It's just me. There are no other Band Geeks here, so it's me and you. And um, I got a lot of stuff to cover. This was a cool week, and um, I think you're going to like what I have planned for you. Uh, but first, let's get some business taken care of. We have episode 100 rapidly approaching. I'm recording this today on December 10th, and... The 100th episode will be on January 10th, and that's going to be live at the Village Underground in New York City. That's January 10th uh, from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. And if you can be there in New York City, I think it's going to be like 10 bucks at the door. It's going to be a great show. And if you can't be in New York City, you can also stream it online. So what's better than that? And let's see, maybe I can tell you guys what I have planned. All right, I won't tell you what songs we're going to do. Uh, it's going to be like a regular gig. We're going to do just, you know, two hours of music, hopefully. Uh, but the band is going to be Andy Escalise on drums, Danny Miranda on bass, Andy Graziano and Hanan Rubinstein switching off on guitars, Vin Innocente and Jason Wexler switching off on keyboards. Uh, I'll be playing guitar and singing. Uh, Anne will be singing, and Muff will be singing and doing all the things that Muff usually does. So it's a killer band. Uh, oh, we have a, actually we do have a special guest, but I'm not going to uh, not going to blow that. I'll I'll keep that one under my hat for now. I think that'll be cool. Um, so that's going to happen January 10th, Village Underground in New York City. So if you can come, that would be awesome. And if you can't come, watch us stream it online. I'll have a link. For that soon, I'm assuming it's at the Village Underground's website, but I'm just waiting to hear back from them on uh, on what the specific URL is that you have to go to to watch it live. But you know, when we get it, we'll make sure we post it on our Facebook pages and whatever. Speaking of Facebook, uh, you guys will notice those of you who follow me on Facebook, if you do Facebook or whatever, um, I had to make a new Facebook channel. So the reason for that is I've been getting into doing a lot of live video streaming and. Facebook doesn't allow you to live stream from a computer you on a personal page. You need to have a Facebook like band professional page or something. So that was kind of a drag and I never really wanted to have a, a Facebook fan page thing. I kind of liked having the personal page and just handling my business from there. But I kind of had to do it. So now I have the uh, Richie Castellano Band Geek page. So if you're on Facebook and you want to get all the updates and, and you don't want to miss any of the live streams, go there and make sure you like the Richie Castellano Band Geek page. It's, it's very easy. It'll take you two seconds and then you'll be able to see everything. You won't miss any of the videos. I've been doing that sort of stuff a lot. I've been you know, uh, trying to do more of the live streaming. I like it just because sometimes I get bored and I'm a ham and I like to you know 
play for people or just goof around. And it's I've had a good response to it. You know, people come up and they interact, and it's really cool. So I'm going to be doing more of that. And let me know if you guys like that because I can't tell sometimes. I, some, sometimes I'm just like throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks. So if you like the live streaming and all that impromptu stuff, uh, let me know. I mean, I never I never schedule it just because, I don't know, I just do what I feel like it. Maybe I should schedule it so more people can watch. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think in the future we'll be doing more Band Geek live stream stuff, and that will be planned and scheduled and advertised. But the stuff I do personally when I'm just, you know, screwing around at home in my studio or or backstage at a Blue Oyster Cult gig, then I just like doing whenever, and if you catch it, you catch it. So... I did that. Also, I got this cool thing. On Cyber Monday, they had this a sale for this service called Restream. Uh, the website is restream.io. And what that allows you to do is you can take one stream, like if you stream from your computer, you can stream to this website, and they stream to all these other services for you. So I did a test the other day. I streamed from my computer to YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook Live. And I was really hoping it was going to work. And it worked really well for YouTube and Twitch. But Facebook Live crashed in the middle. I know some people were there watching me do it. I did like a, a mini sort of gig Q&A thing, which was really cool. And I had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, but yeah, the Facebook thing was a drag. It, the, and the other problem with Facebook Live on the computer is you can't see all the comments. Because people, sometimes they don't know to click on the video um, and... And comment there, so I, I couldn't find like half the comments you guys were making. So I'm gonna keep working on that because I do like the Facebook Live format that it just pops up in your feed and you can watch it uh, and interact right from there. I love that, but I gotta get that working. So I'm still working on that. Also, very interesting thing happened to me this week, uh, or I should say last week. I got a, an email from YouTube, and they wanted, they offered to give me a free consolidation. So I said, hey, what the heck? And it was awesome. They called me up uh, and gave me a consultation. Did I say consolidation? I meant consultation. Um, they gave me a free uh, consultation on my YouTube channel, uh, my personal YouTube, YouTube channel, the Richie Castellano YouTube. And um, they gave me some great pointers. And you know, I'm not going to keep them to myself. I'll pass them on to you guys who have YouTube channels. Um, the main theme of what we discussed on the, the phone call, uh, it was a very you know cool woman named Doreen, and she called me from YouTube's headquarters. At least I think she was in YouTube's headquarters. And she told me, when you put a video up on YouTube, they have no idea what's in it. Uh, they don't know what the video is about um, or who they should show it to. So she says, I really have to use YouTube's tools a little better to to get our videos in front of the right audiences. So I've been, you know, slowly going through the process of that, of trying to, you know, use the annotations and cards and links and make you know, make the descriptions more clear. So I've been doing that. It's very, very grindy. It's like, a, it's like you know, very time-consuming and tedious, but I'm doing it because I, I recognized that what she said was, was the move. Um, and another thing she mentioned is that I should probably... Uh, consolidate my two channels because I have, f for those of you who follow my YouTube channel and the Band Geek YouTube channel, I post videos to two separate places. And that's not really great. That's sort of counterproductive. So eventually, I'll be 
posting all the Band Geek videos, you know, moving forward, probably after episode 100, to my YouTube channel. So if you, and I'm going to keep the Band Geek channel up there as like an archive. So if you don't already subscribe to both, please do so. It'll be very helpful and you won't miss anything. And that's what it's about, just seeing everything. So um, the YouTube channel thing, I talked about that. Okay. Another thing, uh, plug time. It's Christmas. It's Christmas time or Hanukkah time or Kwanzaa or whatever you celebrate. It's a non-denominational festivity time. And that means gifts. And that means Amazon.com. Now, I know some of you just like to go to Amazon.com and do your shopping there. And it's so easy. But if I could just be a pain in the ass for a second and ask you to do one little extra step before you go to Amazon.com. What I would like you to do is go to riotcast.com slash bandgeek and hit the Amazon banner at the top of the page and that brings you to Amazon and then do your shopping because the difference is when you do that first bandgeek gets a small small percentage of your purchase and it doesn't cost you anything extra so you can support bandgeek while buying gifts for people you don't like or people you do like I don't know but we appreciate that and if you have been doing that you guys rock thank you Now, there are also people who just say, you know what, I don't shop on Amazon, but I want to support the show. Well, if you want to support the show without having to go to Amazon or any of that stuff, just go to richiecastellano.com slash tip jar, one word. And there's a PayPal form, and you can just donate right to the show, and that's great. And I have to to give shout-outs to a couple of big, big donators, Uh, and that's Rob Crossland again with a big donation, and Ralph Pitts. Thank you guys so much. It, I, <laughs> It's amazing. I, you guys are awesome. And I also reached out to both you guys and asked if you had any special requests, and you gave them to me. Um, I didn't forget. I'm not slacking. Uh, we just haven't had time to do them yet because we have a lot of other stuff going on with the 100th episode and with what, what I'm doing this week. So it'll happen. And I think what we're going to do is sort of like a fan appreciation show. I have a few cool things planned. So um, if you really, really, really want the band geeks to learn a song for you, um, you have to pay us. (laughs) No, just uh, if you want to give us a donation, and if it's a substantial donation, we might play a song just because, you know, I realize that a lot of people want to hear us do songs. But if it's, if we get like 100 song suggestions, we can't play them all. So That's me being diplomatic. Okay, now on to today's show. That was like a long intro I just did, but I think it was interesting. Anyway, today's show was suggested on Facebook by, and I apologize if I am butchering your name, Tiger V. Kukbar. There's an H in the middle there. So is it Tiger V. Kukbar or Kukbar? I don't know. Today's show was recommended by Admiral Akbar and, uh, sorry, Tiger V. Kukbar. And uh, he asked us if we can do a Blue Oyster Cult rig rundown. And no, we can't do a Blue Oyster Cult rig rundown because rig rundown is a copyrighted phrase, I believe, that's copyrighted by uh, Premier Guitar or one of those websites. So we can't do a BOC rig rundown, but we can do a BOC Gear walkthrough. Huh? Huh? All right. And that's what we're going to do. So what happened is I uh, we just had a gig 
on Thursday. And right after Tiger suggested this show topic, I saw on the calendar we had a local gig, which is perfect because on local gigs, we actually use all of our own gear and not rental backline gear. Uh, and because that would have been a very different type of show. It, it, rental, it, it's hard to do something like this in the rental gear. When we use our own personal backline, like the, the band's backline, then we can really talk about what we're using. Rental shows you get different things every week. It's not. It wouldn't make a great. Wouldn't make a great. Uh, a great show for, for a, a band who does fly dates like us because that's what we do. We fly in most of the time. Use whatever backline gear. I mean, I mean, we we specify what backline gear we want the rental companies to provide, but it's not always right. So that wouldn't be as ideal as it was this week in New Brunswick where we used our own gear, which was perfect. Um, but on the subject of rental gear, another Facebook friend, Joe Creel, also asked about the best versus worst rental equipment experiences. And you know what? I can do that really quick because that's easy, easy, easy thing, best versus worst. So, J- Joe, you're going to get a little bonus segment of this podcast today about best versus worst rental gear. Okay, the best rental gear was when we did the direct TV show. That was the best rental gear we've ever had. Like every single most of the time you a band has a rider and on the rider you put the, your backline requirements. Like we want for example, uh I could say I want an angle Steve Morse head with an angle 4 by 12 bottom. Um and then what you say under that. Now an angle Steve Morse head, that's something that's very rare. It's a boutique amp and not a lot of backline companies have it. I'd say maybe 1% of backline companies have it or less, probably less because it's a very expensive uh rare amp that you don't see. It's, it's it's not as common as like a Marshall JCM or a uh Fender Twin or a Vox AC30 or a Mesa Boogie Rectifier. Those are common amps. Uh, an Engel Steve Morse, is, which is what I use, is not. At And, and most of the time, when you go to gigs uh, and you, you put on the rider, you say, okay, Engel Steve Morse amp or, if not available, you know, Mesa Rectifier is acceptable. And that's how the whole backline rider goes. You say, this is what we really want, but if that's not available, this more commonly found equipment is also acceptable. When we did the direct TV show in LA, they had every single piece of weird gear we wanted. And and like they had my angle amp. I don't know how they got it, if they bought it just for that, but whatever we wanted, they had the exact precise gear. And what really blew me away is um, for that show, Albert Bouchard, he plays this weird Fender 12 string that I'd never seen before. And we couldn't travel with it. He, he was only able to bring his electric with him. So on our back line for that show, we advanced. We want this Fender, you know, electric, uh, Fender acoustic 12 string, uh, this specific model. And if not available, a Taylor 12 string is acceptable. And it's because most backline companies would probably have a Taylor 12 string. Well, this backline company, they got this weird fender for Albert, and that really impressed me. All the gear was exactly what we wanted, and that almost never happens. So that was the the best, you know, that was at Red Studios. I don't know the name of the backline company, uh, and I apologize for that, but whoever that was, was unbelievable. Now, the worst. Hmm. Okay, the worst was in France. We, we, we did a gig in France. I want to say it was in Lefrancouc, if I'm saying that right. Uh, 
I think that was the gig. It was at this small club, and basically the backline company didn't even try to get anything close to what we had. It was, um, I think Jules has you know has Ty or Dixon, and if if not available, Yamaha or DW is acceptable. They didn't have any of that. They gave him this like vintage Rogers kit that was falling apart. I didn't get a boogie. Um, they ha- basically they had three marshals and they're not supposed to have that because we have backups so if something breaks we can you know go to the backup like you know eric gets two heads i get an a spare head and don gets two heads and that's how we do it so and the base gets a spare head so if there's any problems we just go right to the backup well we're doing this gig in france on this whack year and we're playing and i don't know what the hell happens but in the middle of the gig I think it was either me or Eric blew up a Marshall head. Yeah, so we, we, we blew up a Marshall head, and then that was it. And I said, you know, we, we were yelling at the crew, hey, you know, grab a spare, we need a spare. And the crew, like, shrugged, like, there's no spares. This is, like, all the amps this company has. So we had no spare. So I just happened to have a tiny little Line 6 pocket pod, which is, like, it's cool. It's like this. It, it fits into the palm of your hand. It looks like a mini kidney bean, and it's like a modeling amplifier, but it's not really a pro-level amplifier. It's like a consumer thing. It's something you buy for kids, really, or if you want to, like, practice. It's like it, it, That's what it is. It's a practice device. So, And I had that with me, and I happened to have it in my backpack. So all of a sudden, we're playing the gig. In the middle of the gig, this amp fucking blows up, and that's it. You know, then some of it, one of us is down an amp. So I said, I just realized I had that. And I go, hey, give Eric the one that works. And then I reached into my bag. I said, you know, get a DI. And this was like, this happened within like two minutes. I reached in my bag. I plugged this like little pocket pod thing into the DI. And I did the rest of the show. And I was like, put this through the monitor as loud as you can. And I think then eventually... Eric's amp blew up as well. <laughs> so then Eric just said, okay, I'm not playing guitar for the rest of the gig. It was wacky. And that was in France. And I don't know what the deal with that was. But so uh, Joe Creel, I hope that answers your question about the best versus the worst rental equipment. Oh, and there's another. I'm going to add one more to this because this, 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 this one guy was an asshole. And I, you know what? I would even love to call him out. Frank something. I think his name was. I can't even remember. Um I wish I remembered his name because he deserves it. But um, we were doing a gig. I can't remember where. And, you know, I have my wireless and whatever stuff on top of the amp. Like, we all have some stuff up top, on the top of the amp, like Ebo for Eric and the wireless units and, and whatever. And we have it on top of the backline amps. Well, it starts raining at the gig. And the backline guy runs up on stage and the stage wasn't covered he runs up on stage to cover up his amps and he takes he takes the stuff on the top of our amps are like our rack units wireless effects whatever and basically you know brushes them off like and throws them on the floor just to put the covers on his amps and i looked at this and i i remember this guy's like are you fucking kidding me and we it was a big it was a big problem and that guy got blacklisted from ever working with the band ever and that guy's an asshole you don't do it to people's gear but anyway okay i'm calming down now let's move on to what we did this week so based on tiger v kook bar's um suggestion we 
did this rig video, this gear walkthrough. Got to be careful to say that, gear walkthrough. And um, it would have been ideal. I mean, it was great that we had our own gear at this particular gig. It was at the uh, New Brunswick State Theater in New Jersey, and it was on Thursday, December 8th. So it was very, very uh, fortuitous that we had our own gear, but we were also sharing the bill with Jefferson Starship, So, um, which is fine, except... What that means is because we had an opener, uh, we had to be off the stage by a certain time, and it really made doing the video difficult. So I kind of filmed it guerrilla style. You know, I wish I could have taken more time, get didn't get better shots. Um, like there's one shot of Buck in the video uh, where like his mic is covering his face, and I'm just like, oh, I wish I could fix that. But like literally, like I used up every little you know second of time I had to do this, and did it like. You know, get in, get out, quick and nasty. I did the best I could. So if you want to watch this video, it's going to be on my YouTube channel. That's the Richie Castellano YouTube channel. Um, now, I'm going to play the audio for the video, but I'm also going to give you some more insight that you're not going to see in the video because I don't want you to be like, to feel like, you know, why am I just going to listen to this podcast? I can just watch the video. Well, there's going to be extra bonus stuff here. So this is the bonus features version of that video. So what I might do, yeah, so here's what I'll do. I'll play the audio from the, the video now, and I'm going to splice in and interrupt it when I want to point out some extra things that we didn't have time to cover during the video. Because like I said, it, we, we did it fast and dirty. Just like, you know, get in there, throw a camera up on a stand, and, and do it, and that's it. So I'm not saying it's bad. I'm very happy with the way it came out. I just, I worked, I've been working on this video editing it for like, three days straight. So I'm really happy with it. But, you know, in the interest of being a completionist, I'm going to stop the video from time to time, stop the playback here and give you guys some extra info. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, okay, so take it away, Richie and Andy. Hey guys, Richie Castellano here. We're at the beautiful State Theater in New Brunswick, New Jersey. I'm here with Andy Ascolise. What do you do? I am a guitar tech, drum tech, and monitor engineer for legendary rock band Blue Oyster Cult. Not to mention he's filled in for four positions with the band, so Andy really knows the gear, and he's going to help me today. Uh, so we're going to do a gear video and talk about everybody's gear in Blue Oyster Cult, so uh, let's get started. Okay, so first we're going to look at my guitar gear. It's pretty much just the Line 6 Helix into the PA, and it's pretty simple. Is this the easiest uh, rig to do all night? Uh, no, it's not. Eric's is easier. Damn it. Richie, I will pay close attention. All right. This may be over your head. You see this cord right here? Yeah. This goes into the phone plug of the input of the amp, and that goes to my guitar. I don't need no stinking pedals. I'm pausing the video for a second. In case you couldn't figure that out, that was Eric Bloom interrupting and mocking me and my complex setup. So back to the video. So my rig is my guitar into the Audio-Technica 4110D wireless, which is awesome. I've been using it for 12 years. Never had a problem with it. It's amazing. Um, and that goes into this JHS boost pedal, which I keep off most of the time. Basically, it's just to compensate for when I have to use a spare guitar if we're on a fly gig or something like that, and I have to use a backline guitar like a Strat that's a lot lower output than my normal Axis, then I need to goose that up. So I use it as like an emergency thing. That goes into the Helix, which goes straight to the PA. So the Helix is something I've been using for a couple of months. I mainly use the same four sounds, uh, and I have different variations I can turn on and off within those sounds uh, to hear more 
more of those, go to this video here, and that's me discussing these presets, and you can hear them direct. I also have a monitor speaker on stage. Um, tonight I'm using the Line 6 L2M Stage Source speaker. Our front of house guy, Woody, likes it because uh, I have very little stage volume and I get the same sound in my in-ears every night. We also have backup gear. I'm using my Angle 412 cab with a uh, PV Valve King as my backup rig in case anything were to happen with this, but the Helix has been very solid so far. My microphone that I use is an Audio-Technica AE4100. Great dynamic mic. It you know doesn't give me a lot of problems with feedback. I love the sound of my voice through it, so that's cool. Also, picks. Um, these are the Jim Dunlop... Altex 3 XL series. I love these picks. So let's go to Eric's rig really quick. Uh, Eric's using a Buddha head yeah. with the PV cab, and he has a triple uh, X uh, PV uh, backup head. He has the Ebo. He has the Ebo, and he has a Line 6 wireless. What does Eric use the Ebo for? Uh, the really, really long note. Okay, now we're at stage right with the incredible tech Jim Mears. Hi, Jim. Hello everybody, my name is Jim Mears, as Richie told you. I'm just going to talk briefly about uh, Eric Bloom's guitars and show you real quickly what he has. Um, That's, my, That's my guitar. This is not his guitar. This is Eric's main guitar. This is uh, a 60s Model SG with uh, DiMarzio pickups. He uses this guitar on just about every song that he plays, except for one song, and I'll show you that guitar next. But um, basically Dunlop strings. Um, standard tuning. It's a very nice guitar. It sounds great. And uh, it's one of his favorite guitars that he uses always. Check out this inlay. This is really awesome. So this was a 1968 Gibson SG that Eric bought from my dad's music store, which is Castellano's House of Music in Staten Island, for those of you who want to know. And um, it was in pretty beat up shape. So we brought it to Ronaldo Orlandoni, who's a luthier who works out of Pastore Music here in Jersey. And um, he, you know, restored the guitar to originally painted it. He put this awesome BOC logo inlay in and, um, you know, got the, the hardware back in shape. And then the next step was to bring this to my cousin, Phil Castellano, who was Eric's tech at one point. And Phil, you know, set it up and he put new pickups in and new electronics. And this is a uh, DiMarzio Super Distortion here in the bridge. So this is a beautiful guitar. Really sweet, sweet, thin neck. Awesome. So what else do we have over here? That looks interesting. I know what it is. I'm pretending like I've never seen it before, but it's like, you know, it makes the video better. Anyway, so. Hey, um, this guitar was specially made for Eric by PV, and um, it's only used on one song a show, and that's Don't Fear the Reaper. It's a beautiful, beautiful guitar. It sounds amazing, and Eric likes this guitar just for that one song. So. That's a really, really cool, cool piece of art right there. Okay, so we're gonna do my guitars real quick. Um, this is my Slime Burst Ernie Ball Axis. I love this thing, it's awesome. I play it every Blue Oyster Cult gig and every other gig I can. Um, if you wanna see an in-depth video on that, go here, I talk all about it. This is a really nice color they did for me. It's a Slime Burst color, they call it. The neck's got some serious funk on it. He will not let me clean this neck. It's gotta stay funky. Um, and uh, you got this Floyd Rose style trim and uh, DiMarzio pickups, and I had a tone knob added to this. So that's this guitar. And this is what I use most of the time, and there's my uh, Audio-Technica wireless pack on it, uh, the uh, 4110D. And uh, let's get this one out. Uh, so this is uh, something I just started using. I just got this. This is a Line 6 Variac Standard. 
Um, and I use this on the song The Vigil and any other times we need uh, an acoustic. This has great, great modeling capabilities. It's a nice feeling guitar too. I love the neck on it. And uh, this goes in via Ethernet into the Helix. And with the Variax and the Helix, you could do some crazy stuff. So um, those are my guitars. I use um, Ernie Ball Slinky 10s and uh, yeah, standard strings. So that's it for here. Thanks. Okay, I'm going to pause the video right now to give you some extra special features. Uh, I talked about my rig, and um, I want to elaborate on a few things. I go mono into the PA system, and it's just, I mean, there's enough channels, so it's not a matter of not having enough channels. I just feel like since Buck is doing all this, the heavy stereo stuff, I should be more focused and directional um, for for the front of house mix. You know, I would love to have big, big, you know, huge sounds, but in a three guitar band, it's not a great idea if everybody has the big stereo spread. So I'm perfectly happy with mono. And to be honest, most of the time when I do gigs, I'm mono. So it, mono doesn't bother me. Um, yeah, so that's it. So I go from, like I said, the guitar into the wireless, into the JHS mini bomb boost, uh, which I rarely use is just for if you know I break a string and I'm on a fly date and they hand me a guitar like a Strat that has very low output and all of a sudden my presets sound wimpy. I can kick that pedal on and give a little bit more gain to the front end of the Helix and then I sort of retain all the, the right sustain levels. So that's what I use that for. Uh, then it splits from the Helix. One side goes to the PA and another side goes to I have an on-stage speaker, and usually uh, for this particular gig, I used my Line 6 L2M stage source speaker, which sounds great, uh, but normally it's like any old powered speaker the backline company or PA company can provide, uh, usually like a Mackie 12-inch powered speaker or something like that, and it's, it's not really for tone, it's just to give me some presence on stage, because when I started going 100% direct, Eric complained that he couldn't hear a thing I was playing anymore and he couldn't feel it. And it just, it sort of, it, it off balanced the, uh, it put the whole stage level off balance and, and it wasn't, wasn't great. So having that on stage was good. Also without having speakers on stage, you can't get feedback. So it's good to be able to go back to that little thing and, and have the, have the feedback capabilities. I still have, you know, a half stack set up. Uh, but that's really, these days, it's really for, for backup. I mean, I love half stacks, but the nature of what we do, especially with all the fly-out dates we do, I want to have the same sound. I don't want to, you know, have problems with, with getting the right amp or having the backline company switch. I mean, because I, I was that guy, I was that pain in the ass guy who would say, listen, this, uh, this speaker cabinet sounds blown or this amp has no balls or whatever. And I would, you know, I felt bad for everybody just making them swap out the gear. And I don't want to be a diva. So since I got... The Helix, and I've been going direct, that's not even an issue anymore. It's it's wonderful. Um, and that goes, you know, and most of the time I'm just playing off what I hear in my in-ear monitors. And and for the in-ears, I'll go over that really quick. I use Ultimate Ears, the UE7s, I believe. I'm on Ultimate Ears. Jules is on Ultimate Ears. Andy's on Ultimate Ears. Uh, Andy's mixing monitors for us. And um, I believe Don uses the Triple Driver Shore in-ears. And Kasim, I think, is using Future Sonics, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, most of the time, we get the Sennheiser in-ear monitor packs, but sometimes you see other stuff like the Shores. 
So that's the deal with that. A uh, thing I've been bringing out recently is the Line 6 Variax. I just got a new one from them. This is the Variax standard, and I talk about it briefly in the video, but what I don't do, and, that, and something you can't find anywhere on YouTube or anything like that, is I made a new bank of presets just for the Variax, and I'm gonna play them for you. But first, I wanna explain what the heck a Variax is. Uh, and I think I've talked about this before on the show, so I'll be brief. A Variax is uh, an electric guitar that has uh, modeling capabilities. It has the ability to digitally mimic other guitars. And not only like other electric guitars, but acoustic instruments, banjos, sitars, and you could do alternate tunings, and you do this without touching anything. And since it's also made by Line 6, when I plug it into the Helix, they interact with each other in some really awesome ways. And you can do drastic changes very quickly at the touch of a foot switch without having to switch guitars, which is awesome. So um, one thing I use the Variax on is the Vigil. So right now I have the Variax plugged into Helix, and you're going to hear this. And here's my acoustic sound from the Vigil. that's a really awesome acoustic guitar sound. And then at the top touch of a button, I'm back to my electric sound. Button. Acoustic, button again, electric. I also have some electric sound. So that's my first sound. That's called a Variax Clean. And this is a Rickenbacker model. And I believe my acoustic is a Guild. Then I have like a little bit of a grittier sound. And that's a Strat. My third sound is my meat and potatoes rhythm sound. There's a heavy section in the middle of, of the vigil that I like to get, you know, really like, you know, hard for. So um, I have a switch on in this particular preset, the, uh, the crunch preset called fucking metal. And check out what this does. So here's... Um, my E string, I'm gonna hit the switch. So it tunes down my low E string, adds more gain, and now I have like a drop tuned. fucking metal and my fourth preset is this variax lead which is like a les paul and 
So that's my Variax. It's cool. It also has um, it also has regular magnetic pickup. So here's you know, the Variax pickup. And I can turn off the Variax to put on like regular you know guitar pickups. Uh, I might eventually change these pickups. There's nothing wrong with them. Uh, it's just I kind of want something a little bit more um, heavy duty just for the rock stuff because this this is a good sounding you know Strat. Turn the delay off for a second. It, it sounds totally fine. But I want something a little bit more rock and roll, I think. So I might upgrade that. Okay, uh, back to the video. All right, we're on a changeover real quick, but uh, I'm going to show you the keyboards. They're powered down now, but uh, this is the keyboard rig. Uh, three keyboards, piano, Kurzweil, PC-88, piano. Hammond XK1C. Uh, the band uses Hammond organs. And uh, this is actually a newer one that we got. Sounds really great. Full drawer bars, everything. It's great. And then on top, the synth for all the synthy sounds. The Korg O1W. Classic. And uh, on a ultimate Apex stand. And uh, a microphone here, the Mic Tech. Glorious to call also uses Mic Tech microphones, vocal microphones. And uh, yeah, that's the keyboards. Okay, I'm going to pause the video again to talk about the keyboard rig because we really didn't have time to do a proper uh, keyboard rig explanation. So the keyboard rig has gone through a few uh, evolutions, if I, if I could say, or a few changes. And um, what we used to have was a Roland, I think it was a, a Roland with a controller. Uh, that was back in the Allen days. He had like a, a Roland A800 or something, which was a really, really, really heavy uh, piano controller that Allen liked the, the uh, feel of. And that was going into some sort of Alesis um, piano module. So, you know, we were using that, but that died. That just one day we, when we were rehearsing for the 40th anniversary show, it just up and died. So the band asked me, you know, what should I get? And, you know, because we do mostly fly dates, I was used to playing the Kurzweil PC-88. So I said, you know what, let's just get that because that's what we're getting on almost every gig. So we, now we have the Kurzweil PC-88, which sounds great. And I mainly use that for piano, but I also use that for a clav sound on the Reaper. So I, that's the only time I really switch that. And um, sometimes I'll use the transpose on that when we do Joan Crawford because we do that a little lower now than we used to do it, and I did not feel like relearning that in a, in a new key, because that song's a bitch. So uh, yes, that's, those are the only features I'm using on that keyboard, is the uh, piano sound, the clav sound, and occasionally the transpose button. Uh, the organ, that's an interesting thing. The organ, we used to use the Hammond XK2, which is, a, which is something we, we love. It's a great sounding organ. I love when I get it from, from backline companies with gigs. It's just, it has a certain warmth to it and it screams in a way that it's, it's just good for, for this band. It works really well with this band. And Eric and I love that organ and we had one. And I think when our, uh, our storage facility got flooded out, it got destroyed. So we had to get a new one and we were renting, uh, we were renting for a while, you know, for every local gig. And I said, you know, we, we got to, we can't rent. We got, we got to get one. So uh, I actually 
when I was working at AMS, I made friends with um, Greg, uh, Greg Granowski, and he worked for Hammond. And I said, you know, I told him the story. I said, we really need to get a new keyboard. So we had a gig, I think it was in Chicago. I can't remember where, he, where he's located. But um, we had a gig nearby where he is. And he came down with Scott May, who is the keyboard player for uh, Jim Peterick and the Ides of March. And if you haven't heard Scott May, he's a badass. He's amazing. You got to hear him. So Scott came uh, with Greg and they brought this little Hammond XK1C with them for us to try out at the gig. And this thing was awesome. It's tiny. It weighs nothing, but it sounds huge. I mean, if my, my only complaint about that is it's too light because sometimes if you do like a big gliss, you're like, push the whole freaking thing off the stand so we have to tape the, the organ to the stand so it doesn't move which is a bit of a pain but like for what it does and the, the weight of it you know eric and i agreed like this is this is the organ we want and i made a couple of presets in there that we use um basically i only, I only used the two i made one called linear and that's the one i tried to get as close as possible to you know the main like meat and potatoes um allen sound and i uh talked to Eric while I was making that. I was like, you know, what are the ideal Hammond drawbar settings that you and Alan like? And he and he told me and I and I and I set up the organ like that. And then uh, the other one I use is like a uh, a more mellow, like patty sort of organ sound and I call that preset Reaper. And that's you know, that's the only song I use it on. It's just it's just that. Oh no, I use I use it on Reaper and I use it on Dancing in the Ruins because it's like a nice it's not like a you know, over the top distorted growly Hammond sound it's a really smooth nice Hammond sound and fills things out it's like got a lot of reverb on it and uh, finally the last piece of gear we have in the keyboard rig is the Korg O1W which we have a love-hate relationship with um, the Korg O1W is such an old piece of gear I think it's from the 90s and it's just, it has a lot of outdated sounds in it, but they're also great. I mean, they respond great. The attack is perfect on a lot of these sounds. The effects are great. And, um, you know, we, we have a hard time finding that particular keyboard on gigs nowadays. It's, I mean, it's getting harder. We still get it, but it's getting harder to find it. So um, I've had to, you know, find similar sounds on the Roland Phantom or the... Uh, the Yamahas, I don't remember the the, the uh, I don't remember the I think oh, the motif, the Yamaha motif, and the um, Korg, the tr the Triton, I think. Yeah, so those are the keyboards we'll get instead of the Korg O1W, and you know it's great having an updated keyboard with all the features, but I'll tell you, there are certain sounds on the O1W that are so great that I just can't find on any of these newer keyboards. So that there's the love-hate relationship. Like there's this one sound I use that's like this sort of paddy, um, it's called ephemerals. Um, it's just, just like this paddy, big, beautiful sound that um, I use while whenever Don does like a solo, you know, thing by himself and he's like, they call it the noodle. So whenever he does a noodle, I use that under him and it just fills out the space so nice. And there are great pads on these newer keyboards, but that particular one just has a great swell to it. So, you know, I, like I said, I love the O&W. I also hate the O&W. I would love to upgrade it, but um, 
it's going to take some serious homework and I might even need to, you know, grab the band's O&W and sample those sounds that I can't find. But for now, we're getting by and enough backline companies have it to make it feasible to keep using it. But eventually, I'd like to do something different. So, okay, back to the video. All right, we're here in Drumland with Jules Rodino. Jules, can you tell us about the gear you're using? First thing I guess we'll start off with are the sticks that I use. Uh, Regal Tip, uh, 9A Wood Tip. I think Regal Tip, if you haven't checked them out, they're just an amazing company. Lack of finish, if you like that kind of thing. Real unique and uh, just a great company. Peisty symbols I use. With BOC, I use the 2002s. Um, with some other projects, I use the 602s or the traditionals, which I love a lot. So can't go wrong with the Peisty symbols. Drums. I'm using Dixon drums, the Artisan series. I, they're just blowing me away. Their snare drum is amazing. Their drums, they just sound amazing. Great stuff. I'm also using a Jim Bear snare once in a while. Um, this is a guy out in Milwaukee who makes his own steel drums, and they're just absolutely fantastic. Just killer stuff. He actually rolls the drums. They're flat metal. He rolls them. He does everything to them. It's as custom as you can get. So I check those out as well. Uh, Jim Bear snares, Dixon drums and snares. And then my pedals, I'm using these Duelist pedals. A uh, gentleman who makes them in Scotland. And for being on the road and the durability, it's just unquestioned. They're light. They're made of plastic. They've lasted me about six to seven years. I haven't replaced anything on them. So, and we're doing, I do close to 200 shows a year, you know, with other projects. So I'd put these up against anything. And they're light. They feel great. What about the sizes of everything? depends on this gig i scaled down i used to play a 24 inch kick i'm using a 22 now 10 12 rack 14 16 floor toms um depends on the situation um i also have a 20 inch kick with a 12 inch rack 14 inch tom for more blues r&b jazz stuff i'll even go down to an 18 kick and then i'll also use a, a 24 inch kick depends on the situation Symbols. this is a 20 inch 2002 I do like a 22 crashes uh, I range from 16 to 19 hats are 14s I do like the 15s as well but usually 14 and my snares are 14 Jim Bear makes a 15 inch snare that I'm enamored with it's just sounds amazing 15 inch snare by four and a half depth, and I would check that out too. What about drum heads? And drum heads, I use um, Attack drum heads. Bobby Rondinelli, an old drummer with BOC, our great friend, he turned me on to them. Terry Bozio uses them. Not as well known as Evans or Remo, but in terms of price, durability, consistency, spectacular. Attack drum heads by Universal Percussion. Okay, we're over at the bass area, and we're going to look at Kasim's gear. So, what are you using, Kasim? For these shows, and for as many shows as I possibly can, I use my signature bass, which is made by Archer Guitars uh, out of Wisconsin. I've been using these for about eight, nine years now. I designed and uh, I didn't personally build this, but I designed the bass. You don't have a wood shop in your garage? I do, actually, <laughs> but I don't build guitars in it. <laughs> I build, like, wood frames for stuff in my house. I designed the whole bass from start to finish. Uh, hardware, pickups, bridge, 
body design, neck, uh, stuff like that. And the only difference between this and one that comes off the shelf is that um, I have a uh, hip shot on this, which is for my drop, for drop D tune. And for an amplifier, um, I've been using Euphonic Audio for the past probably maybe 15, 16 years, maybe even a little bit longer. What model is this? Um, this model is an 800. Uh, this is a uh, Euphonic Audio bass. They, all they make is bass gear. Um, and this is a solid state head that right now I'm using it with an SVT cabinet, but normally I use um, Euphonic Audio cabinets as well, which are amazingly clean. It's the cleanest amp that I've ever had. Up until I started using Euphonic Audio, I was using SVTs. And this is just really a very, very, very clean sound. EQ is, is subtle. It's not like dra it's no, no drastic EQ. I don't necessarily use contour switches, but it's an 800 watt head through an 810 bottom. I always use the um, the passive uh, input on it because uh, it's just a little bit more. Uh, there's a little bit more seat of the pants stuff in that than there is in the than going into the active pickup. But that's my whole rig. That's uh, what about the wireless? Um, I use a Line 6. G50, Relay G50. Relay G50, yeah, it's really good. Uh, so it's wireless, no pedals. I don't believe in pedals for bass players unless you're like Billy Sheehan or Doug Wimbish, and then pedals are okay. Billy, Billy and Doug can use pedals, but I don't use pedals. Um, and so, yeah, that's my whole rig. Uh, can you play a little something so they can hear it? Kasim also brings a very nice spare bass with him. So uh, what's the deal with this? Um, well, this is just a 1964 Fender Precision. No big deal. Like, that's a, like a, a thing. No big deal. No, well, I mean, you know, it's like, it's a piece of wood, you know? It's basically, it's just a piece of wood. Um, it's a very, very nice bass. Um, I got it probably about 15 years ago, and um, it sounds really good with this band, considering the, the, the type of music that we do. This is just a stock P bass. Not, I changed nothing on it. I think the, the, um, the volume knobs have been changed. But that's, that's okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, same bridge that, that was made in when 1964. Pots are the same. Um, pickups are the same. Everything is the same on the bass. It's a nice little bass. I like it. Let's hear it. Thank you very much. You're very welcome, Richie. I love you. Love you too. All right, Andy, we're back here at Buck Dharma Casim Sultan Guitar World. Show us what you got. First, we got the famous Steinberger cheeseburger, Swiss cheese guitar, uh, custom made for Donald Buck Dharma Roser and has a trans trem on it. What, is it. what does a trans trem do? Trans trem is a regular tremolo, but you could lock it in place so you could change the key if you want it. Like instead of using a capo, 
So yeah. when a trans trem, when you use the tremolo, it yeah. moves everything in pitch, like or relatively, right? Okay. Like using a capo. And uh, this is a one-of-a-kind guitar, and he uses it for every show. And his backup guitar, uh, we got this probably a year ago. It's a Kiesel, uh, also headless, except uh, this doesn't have a uh, tremolo. It's a hardtail, and it's very nice. This is Don Buckdarmaroser, and um, I'm just going to ask you, what the heck do you have going on over here? Okay, the, this is the cheeseburger, and it's, uh, it goes through a, a Line 6 Relay 50, I think, is what I'm using. It goes out to the floor pedals here. Maybe, maybe we should walk over to the floor pedals. Floor pedals first. All right, let's go. So here we are at Buck Dharma Pedal Land, and tell us what you got going on here. The right side of the board is, uh, is my wireless receiver. That's where the guitar signal goes to. Then I got a, a tuner and a Polytune uh, TC Electronic, Eventide Power Supply. From there, it goes to um, basically the Empress compressor first. Then I go into a JHS Superbolt, which is a Supro-style pedal. Then I go through a uh, Queen Amp hot buttered scotch, which is uh, sort of a dumble flavor. Yeah, and then it goes into uh, an assortment of jetter pedals. Uh, you see, I've got three jetter pedals here. One is a two-stage pedal, and they're all different gain stages. The Grissom is my latest addition. That's a custom pedal that Brad Jetter made for uh, David Grissom. And uh, the Purple Gain Stage is, is sort of uh, martial And the uh, GS3 is a clean boost and another uh, Marshall-style gain section. I run these gains very conservative. I just barely crack the, the gain pedal, the gain, gain control. So they're cascaded. They're all in series. And I use them in various combinations depending upon uh, what flavor of gain I like. Uh, my, my basic tone through the amp is relatively clean. That's the amp with no, no pedal on it. Small incremental gain stages, you can get pretty raunchy. Yeah, yeah. You know, up up at the the high lead levels of drive, you know, you got a lot of these on. But I typically run two or three of them at a time. You know, and then uh, then I can back off the volume. How often are you adjusting the controls on your guitar? The volume all the time. Uh, you know, tone not so much. So do you, do. You Spend large portions of a song, like parked at like half volume or three quarters volume. Yes, typically for the rhythm sections, I'll be at uh, three quarter gain. You know, or maybe two thirds. Right. Yeah, and so a lot of times I don't even have to go to more gain, but I'm always jumping on pedals if if only for fun. You know, because it's, each of the flavors is slightly different, and depending upon the tune, um, you know, you choose what you want to use. And over to the left here is by Roland MIDI board. It's got two expression pedals, I'm only using one. The uh, patch switches just select patches in my Lisa's Quadriverb, which provides all the echo and uh, chorusing that I use. And that's patched in after the amp sound, which I'll show you when we get to the amps. And the, uh, the first pedal here is a swell pedal that I use to basically control the volumes of the effect returns. Yeah. 
Okay, Buck, so why don't you take us through your uh, rack here? Okay, from the floorboard goes uh, back in a wire to the to the crate Red Voodoo BV150H. And uh, I don't know if this is made anymore, but I've been using it for a while and I like it. This is our, our gear. When we use fly-out gear, we generally use uh, Marshall 900s. But anyway, I'm in the channel 2 here and running pretty clean, not much drive at all. So most of the distortion comes from the floor pedals. Then out of the crate, it doesn't go into a speaker. It goes into this here. It goes into this two notes torpedo, which is a load box and a, uh, and a cabinet IR. That means impulse response, which is actually a digital representation of an actual cabinet and a microphone. And in this case, the cabinet is, I'm um, using uh, Angle 212 with a, a Neumann U87 microphone, okay? And then, so this is line out in the back, and this goes to the front of the house. It also goes to my in-ear monitors, and it's what, uh, it's what Steve Lacerra uses out front to mix my sound. And from there, there's a split that goes uh, to the quadriverb, which which generates my delays and and choruses, and that comes back stereo in the front of the house and also in the monitors. And, and that's what your your pedal board uh, controls, right? Right. That's what the expression pedal on the pedal board does is control the volume of this guy. Okay. What about uh, that noise gate? All right. The noise gate. Uh, I'm, I'm. I think it's uh, pre. It's preamp is where it goes okay. that, in the line. It goes before the amplifier after the. Uh, after the rack, after the floor pedals, and then uh, there's a split that comes off of this too, which goes to the the power amp of this crate, which acts uh, only as a stage monitor. It's you're not you see there's no microphones on it, and it's uh, it's not mic'd. It's just to uh, add a little fill for the front of the audience and the and the band members. And uh, that's pretty much the way it goes. It's a uh, it's a nice setup. It's very consistent because because the sound coming out of the two notes is the same every night. It doesn't matter if we're indoors, outdoors, where what kind of building we're in. You know, the front of the house is always going to get the same cabinet and the same mic tone, which is uh, works really well. So that's the whole video. There is a little Easter egg if you watch it on YouTube. So check out the video anyway. Um, but before I stop, I do want to talk a little bit more about Buck's rig. We really didn't have as much time as I would have liked to have gone over every little thing, uh, but we did cover a lot of ground in a very short period of time uh, with Don, so that was awesome. And I don't think he's ever done a video like this talking about his whole rig. Um, one concept I want to talk about, though, is the wet-dry-wet thing that he's doing. So the way his rig works is that his... His guitar goes through the wireless into the pedals, just like he's discussing. And then it goes to the two-notes torpedo. And that's the cabinet simulator. So that is his dry signal. That goes to the PA, and, you know, that's going to all of our ears. And from there, he has a split. Now, what's, what's happening is he takes this split and goes into the quadroverb. Now, most of the time, when guitar players use effects, like echoes or reverbs or whatever... You just basically put everything in serial, in, in line. And that means you just, you know, you're... You, basically, as soon as you go into this reverb, your original dry signal is lost. It's being, you know, replaced by this reverb signal. Even though you can play with the percentages, like you can put, 
a percentage of the dry signal back in, uh, it's still, you know, you, you're basically like combining, the, you're marrying the guitar and the reverb down that same signal path. And some people don't like that. Um, and what Don's doing, which is very interesting, is instead of doing what most guitar players do and in, in, in doing the, uh, the series or serial uh, setup, he's doing this wet-dry-wet thing, which is parallel. So his dry signal stays untouched, but that gets split out to his Elise's quadriverb, which is then adding all the space and time uh, effects like the reverbs and the echoes, and that is getting its own two channels. So he has three channels uh, for the left and right effects, which are only effects, only delays, and one channel just for dry. And that gives Woody, uh, Steve Lacerra at our front of house, that gives him more flexibility. And which is, another thing that's really nice is it gives the band flexibility because sometimes if my mix is really, really busy, I might not want to hear too much of all of the echo and reverb from Don's guitar because that might just you know, clutter things up too much in my ears, especially when I'm trying to focus on what I'm playing or what I'm singing. So if the delays aren't timed in a certain way, it might not be might not be great for me. So that gives everybody more flexibility. And he also has the, and he talks about this in the video, but I'll just reiterate it here. He also has the cabinet because the Two Notes Torpedo is a load box. It has to load down a, a speaker. So you have to plug it into a power amp of some kind and that really works out well for him because then he can use one of you know his 412 cabinets as a stage monitor which is great now the thing is that's not the tone anybody ever hears and it's not even the tone that really he hears because he has his in-ears in but it gives him just some oomph on stage it you know makes the pants move a little bit and gives him a feedback source which is kind of important you know what i mean especially you know in a rock band you got to make the guitar feedback so that's a little bit more about Don's rig. I hope you liked this episode and you like this video because this was a pain in the ass to do. <laughs> uh, you know, between uh, you know wrangling everybody up and trying to do it while you know there were sound checks going on and, and people banging on drums and yelling into microphones and then like sneaking back while Jefferson Starship was doing their sound check to get extra shots and, and interviews. It was tough, but it, I, it was fun and worth it. And I think the video came out really good and I hope the band likes it or else you'll never hear any of this. But, uh, <laughs> so that's it. And, uh, also let me know, um, any more ideas for shows because this was a really good one so props to tiger v cook bar and i also think other people have recommended this before and if i'm forgetting you right now i apologize but you know keep the suggestions coming remember richiecastellano.com slash tip jar if you want to support the show and maybe uh request something and uh that's pretty much it look out for more live feeds make sure you like me on facebook richie castellano band geek so you don't miss any of the live feeds so Thanks a lot, guys, and see you next time. Hey.